1: Welcome to all of our Becoming Your Best podcast listeners, wherever you may be in the world today. This is Steve Schallenberger, your host, and we have a special guest with us today. She has over 20 years experience as a change maker, empowering leaders and their teams to spark transformation and innovation throughout their teams. She works with senior and board-level leaders as the founder and president of Farrington Partners, and she blends her experience in the performing arts, vocal, pedagogy. Is that how you say that? Pedagogy, yep. Pedagogy, okay. Communication, psychology, and organizational and executive coaching to help her clients find unique communication solutions around challenges such as digital transformations, organizational culture change and the great resignation or engaging in conversations on social justice. So welcome Jacqueline Farrington. Thank you very much, Steve. It's a pleasure to be here. I've been looking forward to this. And before we get started today, I would like to tell you a little bit more about Jacqueline. Her clients include multinationals such as Amazon, Microsoft, She even lives in the neighborhood of Microsoft, as well as startups and nonprofits. She proudly served for many years as a TEDx Seattle's senior speaker coach, where she sourced, vetted, and prepared speakers for yearly sold-out audiences of 3,000, which is amazing, way to go. And she was thrilled to see several of the speakers from that event move on to the global TED stage. And in addition to teaching, at Yale, she has lectured and taught at the London Business School, Rutgers University, Imperial College, and other institutions. She has a new book, The Non-Obvious Guide to Better Presentations, How to Present Like a Pro, Verbally or in Person. So I'm excited to hear about that. It's going to be an excellent book. It provides actionable practical concepts, tips, and tools borrowed from communications science, the performing arts, neuroscience to improve any speech or presentation, she and her husband are working on their next project, a small organic family farm and farm-to-table event space. Well, how fun. Welcome, Jacqueline. Let's get cooking here. (laughs) Let's get cooking. Great to be here, Steve. Well, Jacqueline, tell us about your background, including any turning points in your life that's had a significant impact on you, and how did you end up in the field that you are? It's funny, when you look back at a 20-plus year career,
2: that's when you see the, the through lines. And I didn't realize it when I was younger, but I was always deeply curious about human behavior and communications. And so I started as a a professional actress in my my 20s. And acting is all about studying human behavior and bringing the reality of human behavior onto the stage or onto the screen for audiences. It's also about communication because acting is about getting what you want or need from the other people that you're you're working with on, on the stage. And when you think about communication, we open our mouths when we want or need something. That's why we communicate something every single time. So that led me through my career adventures and, and I ended up teaching at the Yale School of Drama. And fast forward to today where I work with senior leaders, C-suite leaders on leadership communications, executive communications, and in particular in delivering change.
1: Okay, well that's a good background. And your book uses so much of your background, so many talents, the neuroscience, performing arts. How did the book come about? It was
2: actually a bit of a banal reason in in that it was during the pandemic and everyone was frantically making the switch from in-person to virtual meetings and, and presentations. And I was helping a lot of clients do that. And Idea Press, which is the publisher of the book, approached me and said, hey, there's nothing out there on virtual presentations. Would you write something? So I started writing it. And then in the course of writing it, realized, you know, this is not just about virtual. This is about presentations, communications in general, and felt like it would be something really useful to give to my clients where I could say, hey, read chapter seven, and then let's talk about it tomorrow. That'll really help you. So we ended up broadening it out to presentations. And I think you'll find as you read it, that it's also applicable to one-on-one communications, team meetings, really any kind of communication challenge that you have to deal
1: with. Okay, good. Well, you shared that we should really focus rather than on an executive presence and instead focus on a strategic presence. So why?
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, about 10 years ago, it really started bothering me, this idea of executive presence, because I was having a lot of clients come into work with me. They'd been told they needed to develop executive presence. And because of that, they felt like they had to leave a huge part of themselves at the door when they came to work. In my experience, I found that executive presence was very limiting an area; it tends to be set by the dominant culture. And in the United States, the dominant culture, the, the leadership at the top tends to be middle-aged white men. So it's one model, one idea of what leadership looks like. Whereas strategic presence is adapting how you show up in the room based on the audience and your message and the situation. So asking yourself In order for this audience to hear this message, how do I need to show up? And then drawing on your lived experiences, your core values, as well as an understanding of emotional intelligence and leadership styles to authentically bring different parts of yourself into the room to, to meet the challenge of the moment.
1: That's a great way to describe it. Way to go, Jacqueline. I love that. So much more dynamic, isn't it?
2: Yes, which we live in a world today where that's required. And when you you think about a a leader's typical day, they're dealing with all kinds of different stakeholders, all kinds of different situations and and messages. And if they show up in one rigid way, because we often have this idea that, great, I've got my leadership style, that's set. And it's as if there's this one person in our brain controlling us. But the brain doesn't work that way. The, the brain has multiple functions and multiple parts of our ourselves, multiple skills that are required to meet those functions. So that, in fact, is more authentic than saying, hey, I need to show up in one consistent way
1: all the time. So why are voice and body so important in leadership communication and in creating that presence? What have you found from your experience and research? Well, how you
2: say what you say matters. And a story around this, several years ago, I worked with a CEO who had worked his way up through the company. The board had promoted him to CEO. They were a little reluctant, weren't weren't sure 100% about it. But they decided to entrust him with it. And early on in his tenure, he did an earnings call. And the earnings call for the company was pretty optimistic. The company had had a few bumps, but it had been doing pretty well. But the way that he delivered that earnings call vocally, this was audio only, the way he delivered that vocally was so de-energized and monotone. And the press picked up on that. And the press said, well, hang on a minute. Whoops, there's something going on. We don't trust this. And in fact, it was it was quite a what I would call a hullabaloo in, in the press. And so they brought me into it to work with him to be able to congruently deliver that message in, in terms of what the take-home message was so that his voice and his body language matched that. So it's pretty crucial in terms of, How you say what you say and allowing the audience to buy into your credibility and your trustworthiness. If you're incongruent, if your voice and body language don't match the message, audiences will pay attention to the voice and body language every single time. And if that is saying to them, I don't believe in what I'm saying, they will then question your credibility. Are you trustworthy? Are you a friend or a foe?
1: Let's just think about this. What have you found are the best ways to have good, genuine, right, effective, both voice and body that really works? Like, what are the ideals and how can people do it? What are the important parts of it?
2: Yeah. Well, we know from emotional intelligence that foundational to healthy emotional intelligence is awareness. And it's the same with communication. You first have to have awareness on how you're using your voice and body language. So some ways you can do that, number one, ask, ask colleagues, ask your greatest detractor how they would describe the way you use your voice and body language. So do, do your own 360 feedback process around how you use your voice and body language. And then number two, record yourself hit the record button on a Zoom meeting, turn on your voice memo when you're leaving a a voicemail message and listen and watch. When you listen, turn your back so you can't see yourself and listen to your voice. And then when you watch yourself, turn off the volume so you can see the way you use your body language and do what I call a voice and body language audit. There's a worksheet for this in my book that can talk you through that. So then if you notice some things that you don't like, then you can set about to change it. And by the way, when you listen and and watch yourself, say to yourself, I don't know this person. If I didn't know this person, I'd never met this person before, what would I see that they're doing? And that creates a little bit of emotional detachment, a little objectivity in watching yourself. And then- force yourself to write down at least at least 3 things you're doing that are working that you want to build on. You can have more than 3 things, but at least 3 things. And then only 3 things, no more than 3 things because we we tend to be our own worst critics and we'll come up with a long list of things we don't like and a very brief list or a non-existent list of things that we like. So no more than 3 things that you don't like and that you want to work on. And then start small. Change happens one tiny step at a time. So if you feel like you talk too fast, just set a goal for yourself of, okay, in the next week in my meetings, I'm going to check in with myself three times in each meeting and ask myself, how fast am I talking? Or maybe I have a colleague who's going to just give me a subtle wave of their hands when I'm talking too fast. So you just work on that one thing. And when you feel like you've developed that one thing, then move on to the next thing.
1: Okay, so Jacqueline, as a leader and someone that's creating a presence, a positive, encouraging, uplifting, one that builds trust, genuineness, good communication, what's the number one most important thing from your point of view that they should do for voice? Confident voice, what should it look like? And then how about for body?
2: With voice, it's important to use what we call vocal contrasting. And what that means is that we choose the words that we want to emphasize and then popping up those words by what we do with our voice. So often when people are speaking, They make every word in a sentence kind of sound the same and they'll kind of talk like this or they'll talk like that. And it's what I call boardroom pitch patterning, B-O-R-E-D, and everything just kind of runs into the next thing. So you have to practice this and you can practice this by reading aloud. Get a newspaper, get a, a research article, read aloud, choose the words that are most important, that convey the idea in the the paragraph or or the sentence, or they convey emotion. These are usually what I call NAV words, N-A-A-V. Nouns, adjectives, adverbs, and active verbs. Those are the words you wanna punch up. So highlight those words and then ask yourself, how do I vocally punch this up? Do I get louder? Do I get softer? Do I lengthen the vowels out? I have a dream. I have a dream that one day rather than, I have a dream. I have a dream that one day your children and my children will walk free. It doesn't land the same. So using rhythm, using volume, then using articulation is another way to do it. If I say something like shut up versus shut up, I completely change the meaning and the emotional intention of, of the sentence. So that's a way to vocally work on that and think about vocal contrasting to highlight those nav words. I, I call them nav words because they help the audience navigate through our meaning. They're, they're like signposts as we communicate. And they say to the audience, look here, this is important, pay attention here. This other stuff don't you don't have to pay attention to. So they convey emotion, ideas, action. So vocal contrasting. And then you'd asked about body language. One thing people always ask me about with body language is, is gestures. Do I gesture too much? What do I do with my hands? And it's funny because when we communicate, if we're just sitting around one-on-one, having a glass of wine at a bar with our friends, we don't even think about our hands. We use our hands naturally. So number one, that's a great way to start to feel comfortable with your hands if you're presenting to a large group, is to actually go through your talk, your your speech, in a bar with your friends or with your partner, and just talk it it out with them and notice how you're using your hands, probably in a very natural way. Then when you next stand up and, and rehearse your talk, force yourself to not use your hands, glue your hands by your sides and you can't have what i call flapping ducks which is when your, your hands are glued to your side but your your palms are still <laughs> flapping up glue your hands to your side and go through that talk and you will start to feel like you really need your hands you want your hands back so then go through it again and allow yourself to bring your hands back in a very you'll find it's much more natural way The other thing to work on on gestures is to go through your talk once and imagine that you're speaking to a deaf person. And on those NAV words, those words that are most important, think about what's the image, what's the idea or the emotion I'm trying to convey with this word. And what's the, then the picture that I create with my hands to convey that. Or you can even cheat a little bit and you can look at the American Sign Language Dictionary online to get some ideas for subtle gestures that you can use to support the meaning of what you're saying. Because as we speak, our audience is imaging what we're saying in their brains. They may not know it, but they've got a screen in their mind's eye where they're Seeing, they're imaging what we're speaking. And so those subtle gestures help support that.
1: So, as leaders, sometimes we prepare comments or really anybody in any discussion, whether it's a family or a coach or a teacher or a principal or professor or a business leader, team leader, or even an employee that's going to work with a customer or a client, service, whatever. We're always talking, always communicating. Sometimes we kind of prepare some of the thoughts we have, but spontaneous situations come up. How can people, Jack Winland, best think on their feet? How do you help them look like intelligent? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, like they get it and they're confident and it's natural and they feel it.
2: Yes. It's funny. People often think that. The ability to think on one's feet is this natural skill that some of us are endowed with when we're born and some of of us aren't, but that's just not true. It's a muscle, it's a muscle that you exercise. And the more you exercise it, the better you get at it. So some ways to exercise it. Number one, practice improvisation. Now you can take a class, you you can take an online class, you can take an in-person class, if you don't want to go that far, if that, if that sounds pretty scary to you, you can practice it on your own, just doing things like free association, seeing an object in your room and then out loud, not in your head, but out loud saying what, you, what your brain free associates with that object or picking up an object in your office and coming up with five different ways to use that object that have nothing to do with what the object is, is actually used for. So those are small ways where you can work on improvisation. But it's also important when you think about rehearsal, whether it's for a, a meeting, maybe it's giving feedback to a direct report or, or a large presentation, build stress and failure into rehearsal moments. So by that, I mean, you want to simulate stress. It doesn't have to be exactly the same stress that you'll be experiencing in those communications, but you can build stress by turning on your camera and recording yourself. That that tends to make people a little edgy, a little nervous. Rehearsing to live people, especially people who are close to you. We tend to get a little more nervous with our moms, with with our partners. So rehearsing to, to live people, But also things like going through that communications as fast as you can without missing any important moments, so getting every moment that you want to hit in that communication, but as fast as you can, that'll increase stress. Or telling yourself, I'm not allowed to use any fillers as I speak, which will increase stress. And then the other thing I I mentioned, failure. So this is what peak performing athletes know. Their coaches build failure into their their practices so that they're teaching their brains how to fail and recover, fail and recover. So those stress simulations that I mentioned, most of the time will make people trip up, will make people fail. And you'll see people... Let's say I say to them, okay, you cannot use the script, not allowed to use the script, and you also can't use any fillers. And so, of course, people will forget what they are saying, and they'll have a bunch of fillers, and you'll see them just tighten up and go, oh, but then the goal is when you make a mistake, blow out some breath, so you keep your your body loose, blow out some breath, because when the body gets tight, the brain gets tight. It stops. And then recover. Think about how you want to recover in that moment. And that starts to teach the brain, hey, I can screw up and I can survive it. It, It's okay. And all of those things will eventually exercise that thinking on your feet muscle.
1: Okay, that's really good. Good answer. Sometimes it's nice to also anticipate wild cards or things, surprises, You know, like what what could come up, even though it may not be part of what you're planning on, just think of what could be asked or what anticipate ahead and just helps you feel a little more relaxed and you can do your thing. So I have two questions I'm anxious to get to. We're getting towards the end of our interview already. Dang, I love your background, your experience. So from that background, Jacqueline, what's the difference between presenting in person and then say virtually, like we're doing today. When we
2: communicate in person, the audience has the the gift and the luxury of experiencing us as a multi-dimensional person. They usually can see most of our body, if not our whole body, And their brains rely on thousands of cues to determine, is this person credible? Are they trustworthy? Do they have my back? Are they a friend or a foe? And our brains are hardwired to communicate that way, goes way back to when we were out in the Savannah and having to quickly be able to determine, is this person an enemy or, or a friend? And they rely on not just facial expressions, gestures, absolutely those are important, but also spatial relationships, Also being able to tell breathing rate, temperature, sweating, almost all of those are gone in the virtual world. 75% of those are just out the window because we are shrunk and flattened down into this little tiny thumbnail picture on someone's screen. And our brains are not hardwired to communicate through this wall of technology, So as a speaker, it's important to bring as many of those cues, intentionally bring them into the communication environment. If you notice, you and I are both sitting here where you can see us from the chest up. And if if this were a formal presentation, I would recommend coming back a little further and presenting from the waist up so that you're giving your audience more cues. When you gesture, gesturing in frame, So you're gesturing close to the face and close to the the chest so we can see your hands, not out of frame or little stick fingers on on the bottom. And then I recommend people don't use green screens. Have a real background. You and I both are, are speaking from a real background because that gives the brain this sense of spatial relationship. It's called proprioception. My brain doesn't have to work really hard to see how far away you are from what's in your background. Green screen completely eliminates that. So it just makes it more fatiguing on on the audience. And then trying when you can to, especially if you're speaking one to many in the virtual world, tell yourself that my audience is in the camera. My audience is in the camera so that you are looking in the camera to create eye contact or if that feels really uncomfortable to you, move your, uh, your audience's videos way up high on your desktop so that when you're looking at your audience, your eyes are up. So often people place audience videos down and then they're looking down, which is the equivalent of looking at the table or the floor in in-person
1: communications. Oh, good tips. Good job. Now, how about you were talking about the fillers? The uh huh uh, uh uh you know you know you know those are killers, aren't they?
2: Well, there's actually recent research on this that they they do serve a purpose. They're they're not as bad as we think, but when they become distracting, I don't even want to use the word bad. But when they become distracting is when they're overused, and then we can't parse. What, what the person is saying, because it's just filled with, um you know, like, I think, I just, I guess. And, and it's hard to parse what the, what the message is. But we also know that people use words like um and ah uh, when they're about to communicate a complex idea. And so that's a signal often to to the audience, hey, pay attention here. What is about to follow is is complex. So they do serve a purpose. It's just that you don't want them to overtake your speech. So do
1: you want some tips on that, some quick tips on that? Well, so how do people take the uh, part that could be distracting and eliminate it? Yeah. And and I I think the other part may be natural. You know, they're being thoughtful about something they're going to say. So it's probably balancing it out so you don't distract people. I think that's what you're saying, right? And then you have to work on it.
2: Yeah, and, you, and again, it's awareness. So do what I call get an umbuddy. And your umbuddy is just a colleague or a friend who, when you're speaking and, and you use too much of them, they're going to wave their hands or clap or put a, a nickel in a, in a jar. It's funny that most of the time when you tell someone, okay, I'm just going to wave every time you use a filler, that eliminates... of them.
1: Okay, good job. Well, we're at the end of our interview today. Jacqueline, you've done great. So before we're done, any final tips for our listeners today? Other than keep working
2: on communications, being a strong communicator is a lifetime pursuit. It's not something that you go, boom, that's it, I'm done. Because you're always meeting new situations and new communication challenges. So- Set small goals for yourself and and work on it every day, just being a little bit of a better communicator.
1: Okay. So, I mean, we are at the end, but I have one more question. Okay. And that is, how do you teach your children or grandchildren to be good communicators? How do you help them develop these skills at a young age? Because it it directly impacts your confidence, your ability to connect with others.
2: Yes. Yes number one, by role modeling it yourself. And we didn't talk much about listening, but listening is an important skill to role model and asking your kids and your grandkids to role model, not to role model, but to listen, giving them opportunities to speak up and offer their opinions and, and then helping them, just gently coaching them to be succinct in giving their opinions. So saying something like, what's your headline there?
1: Okay, good. Well, how can people find out what you're doing, Jacqueline? Best way to do
2: that is on LinkedIn. Jacqueline Farrington on LinkedIn. And our website is FarringtonPartners.com.
1: Well, it has been a delight to have you with us. I'm excited to see your book and read your book. That'll be fun. Hopefully, um, As people think about becoming their best, this is another element that really helps them because as you become your best, it's a standard that you say, listen, it's good, better, best. I want to be my best. And this is an area where you can take it from good, better to best. And I love the things that you've shared today. So we wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Steve. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you. And to all of our listeners, we're so grateful that you would take time to be with us today. We wish you the best in all that you're doing. I know that you know that you are making a difference and blessing people for good as you're working on that kind of being your very best. So wishing you a great day. This is Steve Schallenberger signing off.
0: Thank you for listening to the Becoming Your Best podcast. If there was something in this podcast that you felt would be helpful for a family member, a friend, or even a coworker, we invite you to share this podcast with them now while you're thinking about it. Also, remember to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Now for additional resources and tools, such as how to join our monthly peak performance coaching program, or how to get certified as a trainer or coach or schedule a workshop or keynote, you can visit our website at becomingyourbest.com. We're here to provide you and your team with the resources, tools, and content to achieve your greatest potential. So thank you for listening and have a wonderful day and a great week.